0: to the Web3 Prof Podcast. Good morning and good afternoon, everyone. He, I'm here with David Lynn from the David Lynn Report. Thanks for being with me here today, David.
1: Hey, thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to dive right into this. So today we're going to talk about kind of the macroeconomic um, landscape that we're in today, which I think is interesting. Now, I don't know that there's a time where things aren't interesting, but um, maybe things are more interesting today. Um, what is your how did you get into the field that you're in today with the uh, the David Lynn Report um, and uh, interviewing so many experts and the field.
1: Graduated from McGill in Finance. Wanted to work on Wall Street. Didn't make the cut. Worked on macro, <laughs> re- worked in macro research instead for four and a half years, Yeah, um, which was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Had my background at BCA Research, which was a, which was a Montreal-based uh, macro research firm, independent firm. And then I um, switched over to a company called Kitco, where they they're are a bullion dealer, but also they have a media department, and I was hired to be their producer for, uh, for the anchor that worked at the channel before me, and I was her producer for two years. She went on mat leave. They didn't have an anchor. They were like, David, can you can you do some interviews? Just yeah. threw me in the just threw me in the deep end, and I enjoyed it. I kept doing it for about another three years until I decided to recently start off on my own and. Launched my own channel two months ago.
0: Excellent. And so what was the basis of your interest in macro um, macroeconomics?
1: Well, I studied finance, and so that was just part of the curriculum. Mm. And, you know, the, the macro encompasses all asset classes, so it doesn't matter which area you work in in finance, there is some macro component that influences your work, whether you're a bond trader or a sell-side equity analyst. You know, the macro is sort of the foundation of everything you do, and my original rationale was I'll study macro, I'll work in this field, and then I'll branch out into a specialty later on, but that specialty turned out to be podcasting, so that's <laughs> the way I, turned, <laughs> I envisioned it to be. <laughs> yeah,
0: like you go through all this university education and you yeah. become a professional podcaster. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> That's the new world we live in. Well,
1: you're both, you're, you're a professor and, uh, and, a and, and a podcaster, so
0: you're <laughs> living the dream, Jared. Okay, so when you, um, when you think about t- today's uh, landscape, uh, we are in um, May 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're moving into summertime here. What's your overall thoughts on what's happening in the global marketplace today?
1: Yeah. Well, let's start with the U.S. because uh, most of the West, the OECD countries, follow the U.S. The US and, um, you know, I think we are heading into a recession. There's this big debate between the guests that have been uh, on my show. Most people I've interviewed are bearish. Um, I share the viewpoint that we are heading into a mild recession, which is the Fed staff's own projections. Jerome Powell disagreed, but uh, he and the governors disagree with that uh with their own staff, and he said that they—it's—it's it, it's his opinion that we're not going to enter a recession. Mm-hmm. He's gonna—we're going to see continued growth. Were his words in the last uh, press conference two weeks ago. Um, my view is that we are heading into a mild recession by later this year. Uh, which is to say that the unemployment rate will will spike up from its current levels, and uh, and uh, the jobs market will weaken somewhat. Uh, growth will deteriorate to negative uh, negative growth. The last GDP number was already lower than the previous and lower than consensus estimates. Mm. And um, I think it's not going to be a severe one. Uh, it's not going to be like a 1929-style depression that lasts a decade, which some people have told me. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, interest rates will continue to stay high as long as the Fed doesn't pivot. Uh, and they usually do during a recession when it's you know after a couple months after it's officially started. Uh, we may be in one now we don't know because the data is lagging and the mm. NBER in the US hasn't officially designated a recession yet but historically what you see is the fed uh, lowering their interest rates by about 500 basis points during the course of a recession and then after a recession but not before mm. and i think uh, people have argued that Jerome Powell doesn't want to and he stated actually that he doesn't want to lower interest rates prematurely and uh, make a policy mistake and then reinvigorate inflation and so i think we'll stay i think we'll see interest rates stay elevated for another until the end of the year, and then the market is cut, pricing in a cut by the end of the year and next year.
0: Mm. And so, what do you see? Yeah, so, for that's the United States. Do you have a view and an opinion um, about uh, Europe or Asia?
1: Um, I mean, there. Asia is pretty broad. Uh, let's. So, what from what I know about the ECB, the European Central Bank, is that uh, most central. Well, Let's start with the ECB. But most central banks around the world, the big ones, are not done raising interest rates yet. Mm -hmm. So the Fed is kind of early in terms of of a pause, uh, and they've signaled a pause. I don't think they're going to raise interest rates by uh, uh, again this year. Um, Perhaps one more, but that'll be it. Uh, But I think the ECB has more rate hikes to go, and if you look at the inflation numbers – uh, from the UK, for example, uh, the Bank of England as well—they're going to continue raising rates. The, their, their latest uh, inflation number was 10%, and so while the U.S. has come back down to five, 4.9 was the latest uh, CPI headline CPI. Uh, it's the UK still has double-digit inflation, and so their oh. their 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 fight against inflation isn't over. And so what we're going to see is this differential in interest rates between uh, the U.S. and the rest of the world, which is going to put continued pressure down on the U.S. dollar. The DXY already weakened uh, from, uh, from its highs last, uh, in last November. Now, um, to your question about Asia, Uh, We're seeing continued uh, re-emergence in the opening of China. So China is reopening their economy, and uh, we're seeing exports take up. Uh, But generally speaking, I think um, the U.S. will continue to be the the leader when it comes to growth. around the world. In the last recession in 2008, the U.S. actually came out as the leader in growth amongst all G7 countries, uh, G20, I believe, as well. Mm. And so um, it was very interesting how the U.S. was, uh, it suffered a banking crisis, but was also the first to emerge um, as a growth leader. And I think that. Probably will happen again this time,
0: why do you think that the u s economy is so resilient to come out as a growth leader when they were kind of the the chief of the collapse um in that crisis
1: mm. um interest rates were low, so uh investments continue to pour in mm. uh and uh and The economy really relied on cheap capital in the U.S. for a decade and a half. Uh, Well, not a decade and a half, but about a decade. Uh, Productivity in the U.S. is still amongst the highest amongst OECD countries. Um, That's probably for a whole host of reasons. Uh, But, yeah, primarily I think cheap money was what propelled the uh, markets to at least do well. On the real economy, you know, you, you saw the labor force participation rate continuing to go up um, over the last decade, but um, generally speaking, I would say, in my view, I would say the Federal Reserve has been an engine of growth, uh, whether or not you agree or disagree with their policy, over the last 10 years since the last Great Recession, and I think that's going to come to an end. And I think uh, this is the fastest tightening cycle in recent history, going back to 1981. hmm and, and uh, some people argue this is the end of ZERP zero interest rate policy. Uh, and uh, if that's the case, then the era of cheap money is over and lower growth will be what's in store. <laughs> it's is funny because Charlie Munger at his last shareholders meeting at Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting uh, two weekends ago, he said that if you're a value investor, expect to make less. <laughs> to which uh, Warren Buffett said, yeah, you've been saying that since we've met though. So. <laughs> But I think he's echoing a lot of uh, the sentiment of long term value investors, which is that growth will be lower or at least harder to get over the last over the next decade or so
0: than it has been over the past. Yeah,
1: because of the Yeah, because of a lot of reasons, primarily because uh, the end of zero interest rates is uh, is here.
0: And when you say the end of zero interest rates are, are are you and others referring to the fact that like forever it's the end
1: no well so personally i don't think it's going to be the end forever i think so there, there's two camps there's one camp that says that it's not going to be uh the end which is that historically as i've said before the uh, the federal reserve has lowered interest, interest rates by 500 basis points during a recession and so if this if history repeats itself we're looking at a return to zero In this cycle now uh, some argue that's a bit too aggressive and um, you know zero interest rates are not normal to begin with so you have this abnormal monetary policy for the last 10 years which some would argue has created the banking crisis that we're in today. because because uh, it is just not normal. the treasuries that the banks held in the long long end of the curve spiked up faster than anticipated and so that's what caused a lot of the um, uh, caused a lot of the bank runs. But um, I think that interest rates won't fall all the way back down to zero. I think they will probably hover around uh, probably three to five percent three to four percent range for a while which historically has been normal historically rates were around the five to six percent range Mm -hmm. so if you you know interest rates will come down the fed will cut but i think zero might be a bit aggressive so
0: yeah what are your thoughts on when we you you refer to a banking crisis um do we see more financial institutions in the united states collapsing um like we saw um a couple months ago
1: yeah, I think the regional banking crisis isn't over yet. Uh, the regional banking stocks have been hit very hard, even compared to the rest of the S&P and the rest of the uh, banking sector. Uh, large banks have fallen less than the regional banks in market value. And uh, uh, I think more consolidation is going to happen. Uh, collapses where we have a complete wipeout of equity. Um I think what's going to happen is what some of my guests told me: either forced marriages or consolidations or seizure from the FDIC. Um, but over the long term, and this is a point that that I've brought up uh, to one of my guests, over the over the longer term, you'll notice that 40 years ago there were 18,000 close to 18,000 banks in the U.S. I'm not talking about branches. They're like individual corporations. Wow.
0: Now
1: that com- now that number is about 4,000, which is still higher than most other countries. I mean, if you look at the larger uh, countries in the G7, it's about 300 or 400 banks. And so the U.S. is still much, much, has a lot more banks than their closest peers. Uh, but that number has been coming down. The, the trend is consolidation. I wouldn't say we're heading towards nationalization, but it has been consolidating. And um, yeah, it just, unfortunately took this crisis to to expedite the consolidation you have to remember that also the bank failures that we've seen Silicon Valley Bank first Republic which was bought up by JP Morgan um, first Republic uh, you know Silicon Valley Bank was primarily VCs in the tech space Mm -hmm. first Republic Bank were uh, was wealthy uh, depositors and so what I've seen in the comments my own videos is it doesn't really affect me personally because these banking um, collapses Haven't really impacted the everyday person Mm. as much as the last great financial crisis did when we saw the residential housing collapse and that wiped out equity for everybody, not just the wealthy people and the tech people.
0: Yeah. So um, so you see um, these regional banks continuing to struggle Um, when you, you know. As I said before we started the interview, you kind of have an interesting perspective because you've got this broad landscape of uh, people that you're interviewing all the time. Um, What is the general consensus that you hear from people you interview, the experts around the world, about crypto, about Bitcoin? Um, What is the feeling? Obviously, Charlie Munger, as you mentioned, he's got his opinions about it. Um, But what are the people that you talk to think?
1: Okay. Um, Well, the... the... (laughs) The crypto people, obviously, no, but, you know, it's interesting because um, even the people working in DeFi and crypto, nobody has told me that the crypto winter is officially done. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've told me that maybe perhaps spring is here and that perhaps we'll get a consolidation uh, around the, uh, I think Bitcoin's around $29,000 US, something like that today, Um, consolidation around this level, uh, perhaps moving up to $40,000 by the end of the year. But no one has given me a super bullish projection, at least to me. That Bitcoin is going to a hundred thousand. Standard Chartered Bank uh, recently came out with a report and they believe that uh, Bitcoin's going to a hundred thousand dollars by the end of 2024. Not the end of this year, but by mm. the end of 2024. So, the general sentiment, I would say, even amongst mainstream banks, is that um, the bottom is almost here, but we're not quite ready for a huge rally yet.
0: And, our uh, our the economists and the financial experts uh, believing that um, that crypto is here to stay and that it's going to add real value to society. Or do you often hear things like it's scammy, um, it's a Ponzi scheme, you know, that type of sentiment?
1: Yeah. Well, we have to differentiate between, I think, uh, the bigger cryptos, sure, coin Ethereum and yeah. I mean, a bunch. And you know, the reality is a lot of altcoins are definitionally scams sure so we can't generalize and say all cryptos are scams because you know because uh, uh somebody got rug pulled by squid game coin or something, right, right 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 um but you know bitcoin let, let's talk about bitcoin first what we've seen with the bitcoin ordinals which launched a couple months ago was really interesting because for the first time we're seeing a lot of developer activity move onto bitcoin mm-hmm. whereas the nfts and the um and uh the um inscriptions marketplace happened a lot on other old coins especially on ethereum ethereum was huge for nfts mm-hmm. we're starting to see that with the ordinals moving back into bitcoin and so now people are saying bitcoin finally has a use case besides speculation and investments um and i think uh the taproot upgrade from last year has made this possible uh people have told me because uh, and and now we're Back when it first launched, people were telling me this upgrade is going to have uh, a significant impact on on developer activity. And I think we're starting to see that now. Transaction cost spike to a 2021 uh, about what we're sorry, the highest it's been since 2021 mm-hmm. um, transaction fees per Bitcoin. Uh, it's recently come down softened a bit, but um, a lot of that has to do with the ordinals. And so I think Bitcoin, it, to answer your question, I think, yes, cryptos. The consensus is that blockchain technology is here to stay. Bitcoin is here to stay. I mean, in a bear market, m- most altcoins crash to like 95, 90, 97%, sometimes zero. Mm. Um, Bitcoin has followed the NASDAQ. I think it will continue to follow the NASDAQ for the foreseeable future. And so even if we get a recession, uh, if stocks fall, Bitcoin will fall with a higher beta. It's not
0: going to disappear. Do you feel that um, the banking crisis in the United States, or as you said, the regional banking crisis, um, gives people more reason to buy Bitcoin because they start to lack uh, the trust in the financial institutions in their region? Um, or does it have maybe a negative or a uh, or a, a non-existent impact on investing into Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, you would think that, wouldn't you? Um, but what we've seen actually is uh, with the deposits uh, um, coming out of the banks, which is to say that there's been negative inflows into deposits. There's been positive inflows into money market funds. And so people are taking their money and putting it into treasuries and other safe, uh, stratified assets. Um, not so much into Bitcoin, uh, because then you would see a huge rally in the price. Which mm. We haven't seen the The price is more or less tracked the NASDAQ. Um, well, sorry. It has, it has gone up this year. It has gone up. But I don't think that was because of the banking crisis.
0: Right. Yeah I mean since it's since it's lows at the beginning of the year I think it's it nearly doubled yep. and it and it's retreated a bit but yep. um I mean it's it's probably the strongest performing asset in the world right now.
1: I think it's yeah I think that has gone up because of the stock market not because of the banking crisis. Sure. And I think to your question um no people aren't going to immediately jump into bitcoin because they still don't trust the centralized exchanges and until we have DEXs fix their interface that allows my mother to log on to a metamask easily we're not going to see huge adoption into bitcoin to the dexes
0: i think it's an interesting point because if you don't trust your regional banks you wouldn't trust a centralized exchange
1: Especially given what we've seen last year. With
0: FTX. yeah. So, um, And because most people, I think, don't understand the difference between a DEX, a cold wallet, a hot wallet, a centralized exchange. The common person has no idea what any of this is. They don't differentiate the fact that FTX was a centralized bank, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the fact that actually the collapse of FTX signals a good reason to own something like Bitcoin because it's actually showing the fact that centralization can be problematic. But most people don't understand it from that perspective
1: another thing that we're witnessing is a tighter control from the government uh more regulations are coming in binance canada just got kicked out um clients have until i think the end of the fall Mm -hmm. to relocate their assets out of binance canada um in the u.s coinbase got sued binance us got sued um
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of headwind
1: the average person reading these headlines who know nothing about the exchange are just going to be like, am I going to lose my money because this right. exchange is getting sued? Yeah. It's not good optics.
0: Definitely. It's interesting because when Binance announced that they're pulling out of Canada, part of the email said, um, we tried to make it work because our founder is from here. But it just doesn't. Did you see that? Because CZ from Vancouver and he went to McGill. And, and yeah. so they're like, oh, you know, we tried to give it a go because we're from here or, you know, the founders from here. But the government of Canada or the <laughs> Ontario government just can't. They can't sort it out. So we're, we're pulling out. I think
1: it also said something to the lines of Canada's a pretty small market. So we'll right. revisit it at some point. Totally. Ultimately, it's not big enough for them to really fight for, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah, that's absolutely true. And so um, but then we have exchanges like Kraken gets on board and, and they're like, we're here to stay. You know, so um, in a previous interview I did with um, the compliance officer for Netcoins, um, he had said there are eight or 10 centralized exchanges that had applied to the to the to the government to, to stay in Canada. And and, um, and one of those wasn't Binance. So it's up to, it's to no surprise that they're pulling out. Um, so do you see uh, just for clarity, do you see Bitcoin tracking with the Nasdaq to the end of the year?
1: Yes. Yes, I think so. Some people have said that it might track gold, but I think that's probably more of a long-term adoption curve uh, narrative. In, in the intermediate term, I think it's still going to be a risk asset.
0: Why would Why would it track gold? I mean, how much has gold gone up in the last ten years? Like, <laughs> not it hasn't, right? Am I Am I right about saying that?
1: I, I think. I think. Yeah. In the last, well, in twenty eleven, it was a high. It It was. It was about two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. We're about two thousand dollars today. Okay. So in the last 12 years it's been flat
0: and Bitcoin has not in those 12 years so why would it all of a sudden start tracking gold
1: And by the way I when I say it's been flat it's over a 12-year period. Sure. it's yeah. gone down and then it's gone back sure up. why would Bitcoin all of a sudden start tracking gold well you're right it hasn't naturally. actually if you look at it from a historical performance ratio the sharp ratio uh, historical performance perspective Bitcoin sharp ratio is the highest of any asset class that I've that I've looked at much higher than gold, much mm-hmm. higher than the stock market. Why would it start tracking gold? The narrative is that it's start it's going to start looking more like a safe haven asset and less like a risk asset. Right. And so the I guess the default risk uh, risk off asset would be gold. People people use that as a benchmark and so they they think well Bitcoin's going to start trading like gold. Um yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Mm. Um and I think what they mean is perhaps the Bitcoin volatility is going to decline as it matures. Um but in the sense that it follows gold exactly
0: yeah i don't i don't see it doing that anytime soon will you tell us if you're buying bitcoin or selling bitcoin these days
1: um i i am not buying currently uh i i bought a bunch uh in 2021 when it was when everything was going up and mm-hmm. i didn't want to fomo out and then i sold everything in march um not because of this I, year yeah uh last year mm-hmm. last year 2022 in march uh just out of happenstance because i i needed the cash i didn't have this foresight that it was going to continue crashing right um i am like everybody else kind of waiting for a bottom but i think that a recession is going to come later this year which is going to drag down the stock markets and because i think that's going to be correlated with bitcoin i think bitcoin's downside is not uh well we're going to see a bit more downside so i'm kind of just waiting for the trough in the economy so you think
0: you think like twenty thousand dollar bitcoin something like that
1: Mm.
0: Or lower. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we want the David Lynn prediction live on air.
1: It's funny because I, I, okay, so I'll give you my prediction. I, 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 when it, in 2017, I tracked the Bitcoin price to the Fibonacci sequence. I, I, it, I just playing around with numbers. If you, if you plot this Fibonacci sequence out on an Excel spreadsheet, it's a straight line. Um, if you, well, if you, if you, if you plug it in log scale, it's a straight line. Mm-hmm. And then what you see is Bitcoin kind of oscillate around the straight line. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed is that, okay, well, it was at a high, it was above the straight line. If yeah. you take the Fibonacci sequence, the mean, and then, and then the cycle should continue downward. So I predicted that Bitcoin in the next cycle which was the last one we had would top at about 56,000 dollars which my prediction I wrote an article about this and it would go down to $17,000. So it went up to about 69 and went down to exactly about 17,000. Yeah. Um I think that the downside uh will we've got about 20% more on the S&P at 500 from current levels and I think if you apply a beta of 1.5%, that's maybe about 40% more. Downside for the for the Bitcoin price. Okay. So that we're looking at about what would be twenty nine thousand dollars, twelve 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 thirteen thousand dollars on the downside before we bought them, and then and then it takes off again.
0: Okay, that's great. That's a great that's a great spot for us to end this conversation. (laughs) It's. I
1: didn't mean to give you fud.
0: Yeah, yeah, Here we are. Everyone's like, everyone's depressed now. Like, oh, great, twelve thousand. Well, hey, there's a buying opportunity coming potentially. It's right?
1: already up fifty thousand. Oh, sorry, fifty percent. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, that's not. Yeah. It's not a huge move.
0: <laughs> okay, I love it. Thanks so much, David. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for thank you for having me.